Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. We've got a special guest all the way, actually born and raised in Africa. However, her story is incredible. So as I just said there, born and raised in Kenya, Caroline Bakaik moved to the United States in 95 in search of greater opportunities. She married her husband, and together they have 16 each children. She's a renowned international speaker, media personality, humanitarian, tour guide, podcaster, pageant coach, business coach, and mentor. A beauty and passion for humanity has earned her a three-time Mrs. Kenya World title and Mrs. Pennsylvania title. Now, I want to say welcome to the show, but I also want to say go into some more of your your credits. You've got an incredible career that behind, and even in your bio, I'm like, Tell me more, because I know you behind the scenes. So, <laughs> firstly, welcome to the show, Caroline. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm very excited. It's such an honor. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, just tell us everything. Tell us, take us from the beginning. Obviously, they're born and raised in Kenya. There's a story that I've heard that I think is so integral to our listeners and what it took, the struggles, the sacrifice, mental health, self-doubt. People often see, they will see pictures of, of, of you as Mrs. Kenya or going to the Miss World and think picture perfect, she couldn't have anything going wrong. So I want to disrupt <laughs> and unveil right from the start what it took for a little girl with dreams to get out of, of Kenya. Wow, thank you so much and uh, for that opportunity to be able to relieve my, my whole life and um yeah, I was born in Kenya. I I I lived in I've lived in Kenya uh, longer than I have lived in the States. So actually now actually with my age now half and half that tells my age. But uh, I grew up in a little village uh, on the slopes of the Ngong Hills, and this is where they did the Out of Africa movie. The the um, and uh, as a little girl, I went to school with Maasai tribe because. But the hills of the Ngong Hills, or the slopes of the Ngong Hills, is where the Maasai tribes live. They are nomads, and they keep cattle. So when we moved there at a very early age, there was no electricity. There was no, there were no roads. It was just like bare land, and you know, just wild animals roaming around. So, but because my parents were a bit educated and they were Christians, I was able to go to school. But I grew up with kids who didn't go to school because their parents were very poor to buy them school supplies or even pay school fees. And they also believed in marrying off their girls at a very young age. There was also like circumcision of girls, which I escaped because my parents were Christians. And also uh, going to get water from the river. I grew up with lack of clean water. There were there are times we were sick and there was just, I've seen my parents washing clothes in the river. I have seen the big trucks uh, made in America coming to offer relief to, to the villages there. But as a little girl, as much as I love to play in the mud with all the other kids and run to school miles and miles and swim in the rivers, I always thought of how I could change this. I wanted... The little girls that I grew up in the village 
all of a sudden I don't see them anymore. By nine years old, 10, they, they're getting off, they're getting married or they, they can't be able to go to school. We also had horror stories of people who, like little kids and, and, and women who were attacked by wild animals going to get water from the river or even getting raped. And so it was very traumatic. And I was thinking to myself, there has to be something that has to be done. I'm looking at all these trucks like made in America. And I'm thinking maybe God lives in America because these guys have food and can bring it to us. So to me, America was this land that I was like, someday I wanna go there. Someday I wanna be able to make a difference. And I remember when I was uh, 12 years old, my parents uh, house was broken into and thugs broke into our house and they left my dad for dead and you know they cut him up and they you know they just ransacked the whole house but I remember as a little kid being able to identify one of those guys and standing in court at a very young age at 12 years old giving a testimony that yes that's the guy so come into my house and that I decided, okay, I'm not gonna go to America. I wanna be an attorney. I wanna be a lawyer because I wanna fight for justice because there was no justice in that case. The guy just got two years, never told who the other guys were. And such kind of thing just made me want to be somebody who was a voice for others. Uh, somehow with the my parents and our culture, the school that I wanted to go to, my parents didn't allow me to go to that school because some friend of my parents wanted me to go to another school and it was more like the friend said this is the best school to go to so i ended up not going to school to be a lawyer but i always wanted to to, to do better things i was like i'm not made for this village and i remember as a little kid would see tourists vehicles coming and they would run after them and wave and they would throw like empty bottles of water and i was always wondered if these people are so rich that they can drink water from a bottle why can they give us water? And they just throw, you know, an empty bottle of water. And I decided that if I was, if I ever had the opportunity, I would want to go back to my village to provide clean water and school supplies to kids. I would want to just change the life of everybody there. And I said, if I ever had my own tour company, I would stop if I saw kids on the road and give them school supplies and clean water. And after coming to the US, that's exactly what I do. I competed for Mrs. Kenya with a platform of uh, clean water and school supplies for Kenya and also ending FGM, which is a female genital mutilation, circumcision in women. I, was, I competed once in India and twice in Russia. And during one of those times, the president of Chechnya proposed to me. That's another story for another day. But as Mrs. Kenya, uh, once I competed, I was able to speak in all these different countries about the need for clean water in Kenya. Because I know that so many uh, countries give um, like medical aid to Kenya. They give us mosquito nets. They give us food. But if only we had clean water, we would not be having all these diseases. We would not be having mosquitoes because we would not be trying to trap water in containers that don't have a lead. And that uh, becomes a, a bleeding ground for mosquitoes. And so I decided I wanted to start a tour company. And I started a tour company called the Water Gap Dash Africa Safaris. And Water Gap is because we provide clean water with some of the proceeds. We've done amazing things in Kenya with my clients and friends, and we have dug a well, we have uh, provided school supplies to so many schools. We have uh, helped a church like put a floor. Uh, we have helped a lady. Uh, start a girls boarding school and uh, we have bought water holding tanks and we've just made a difference and every year when we go down there 
every time we see kids on the road, we stop and we have enough school supplies for those kids. We even have uh, bottles of water to give them. And it just, it just makes me feel like I have fulfilled my dreams, but I still want to keep going back and doing bigger things because I know that there's still some kids trapped there by, by the village where I lived. And um, I, I just, I've just been really blessed that I was able to come and live in America and, and be able to find the connections that I had and, and also compete in the, in the Mrs. World. And uh, after competing, they the ended up hiring me as one of their contestant coordinator. So I work for them now. And so I have all these uh, wonderful friends, beautiful ladies from all around the world. I know a lady in every country there is out there in the world. I have a friend. And I've been able to take most of them back to Kenya to come on uh, these trips. And uh, it's always been such a really wonderful experience for them. Wow, I'm just taken back. It's so inspirational. <laughs> I mean, like, everybody needs to go and check out, like, your tour company. They need to check out your story and you because... For a little girl to have those dreams, I can only imagine, like, coming from, I know you said your parents had a little bit of money, but coming from an area that wasn't covered in wealth, I suppose, it must have seemed like a far, far away. And I suppose, if I bring it back, I love to know about every different kind of background, environment, how people were brought up. When you was young and you had these dreams, was it something kind of, was, was mental health or well-being ever spoken about? Did people talk about this? And then to actually move and then compete in a world of glamour and aesthetics and photo shoots, what was that like? Because again, coming from Kenya, where you wasn't seeing this, to then suddenly going to America and being thrust into, and then what, proposed by a president, like you must have been like, whoa, what, what, what's like, so yeah. So, oh, definitely coming to America was a total culture shock. Mm. <laughs> we had never seen things like microwaves. And, and, and I actually remember at my first job that I worked at, I, at, at lunchtime, I saw people like warming their food in this thing that looked like a microwave. I didn't know what it was, but I know I'd see people putting food, pressing a button, the food goes around, it warms. And so the next day I brought some rice, but I didn't know that some plastic containers don't go in the microwave. <laughs> and I must have pressed maybe five hours or something because the little thing was <laughs> going around and melting in there. And everyone is like, what is that in the microwave? And I'm, I was so terrified. I didn't know what button to touch to stop it. And I ended up quitting the job. I, I, I was too ashamed to go to the point. Oh, bless you. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was terrible. But there was just a lot of culture shock. Um, in Kenya, um, we were colonized by the British. So we, you know, they brought us education and, you know, kind of our mannerism was, was kind of more polite and more subdued. And, and then coming to, um, to America, I came to... My brother lived in like a black neighborhood. So they, in America, they're called African-Americans and, and they're more louder than we are and everything. So it was just like, how can these people be like us? And yet they're just like so different. It was, it was so different. Their, their music and, and just everything was, was just very different to me. But um, I remember just the excitement that, that I could come to America was just like beyond me. And uh, it was, just, I mean, there are just so many funny stories I, I would tell about my experience uh, here as, as, as somebody who first came here. But one of the interesting things was when I decided to compete as Mrs. Kenya, 
And I went to uh, India where I now met all these ladies from around the world. I think we, I was among the first people who got there. The reception we get as contestants of the Mrs. World is amazing. I mean, the, the Mrs. World was an organization that was started almost over 50 years ago by a guy by the name David Mamel. He, uh, he passed away last year and I, we miss him dearly. He was almost like a father figure to me and, and his wife Elaine. Um, and so when I got there, I was excited. They're receiving a red carpet. Oh, Mrs. Kenya. I'm very excited. And, and I think I have everything that I need for the pageant, my dresses and everything. And then these women start arriving from all these different countries. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what did I get myself into? <laughs> Their style and, and everything was nothing that I've ever seen. I didn't even know how to put lipstick the right way or makeup or anything. And and it was just like, just cause I was like, oh my God, like what am I even doing here? But I, I am such a people's person. And I, you know, every time the media would come to talk to me, I was like talking to them. I made so many uh, friends. And that year I didn't even like place in the Mrs. World. But I remember after we got home, um, the owner of the Mrs. World ca called my house. And my mom, I wasn't there. And my mom came and told me, oh, the president of Mrs. World called the house. And I was like, I started thinking maybe I left something in India. Maybe maybe there's something that, that I need. And then I, I call him and he tells me, he says, wow, we just wanted to tell you that you really did stand out among everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean I stood out? I didn't even like take the current home. He's like, there's a difference between winning and standing out. And there was just something about you that was just so special, like your energy and how you promoted your country and talked about your platform. You really knew why you were there. And so they invited me to go again as Mrs. Kenya um, the next time uh, in Russia. And I had just had my baby. She was like two months old. So I ended up going to Russia with a two-month-old baby. Um, and I, I competed and I was the dad runner-up. <laughs> so that was like really something. But the most um, wonderful thing was that year my costume won first place. And, and also, the, it's called the We Channel, which is a women entertainment, was one of the channels that uh, was broadcasting the Mrs. American uh, and the Mrs. World then. And so they, they told all the ladies, when we were all on stage, they, told, they gave us all a piece of paper and told all these different ladies, I think there must have been like over 40 of us or something, and they want us to write a name of somebody who has really touched us, who we think should be Mrs. World. And... I was called, they, they picked me and I was like, oh my gosh, it was just, it was just this thing where I was like, oh my God, that was such an honor for the women of the world, these beautiful women to see me as somebody who could represent the organization like that was such an honor to me. And then uh, the next year again, um, I decided that I wanted to get the franchise and take it home to Kenya to give the married women of Kenya an opportunity because I was the first ever Mrs. Kenya, uh, Mrs. Kenya world. So I, I got the franchise, but, the, but then Russia invited us right back again before I could even hold yeah. the competition. So guess who goes again back to Russia? Me. <laughs> so by this time I'm embarrassed because I'm like, okay, competing three times, these people will wonder, they're not the beautiful women in Kenya. Yeah. But I am so glad that I went because it was the year when we went there that uh, the president of Chechnya, um, Ranzam Kadrov, had that the Mrs. World contestants were in Moscow. And he invited all of us to his country on a peacekeeping mission. His father had been assassinated two years before we went there. And this was in 2007. 
And so he invited all the contestants. We didn't even know where we were going. We just got into an Air Force One jet at the airport and, and, we, and we took off. And everyone is like, where are we going, you know? And then we get off the plane. And normally when we travel as the Mrs. World ladies and we get to a country, all the media is there. And they all ask us these questions. And, uh, and lucky for me, the media asked me, they said, Oh, so Mrs. Kenya, what do you think about Chechnya? I had never heard of Chechnya. I didn't even know whether Chechnya was a tree, a flower, or somebody's name. So thinking really fast, I said, oh, in my culture, uh, you can only ask somebody that after they've been in your country and they're on their way out. So anyway, um, we get picked at the airport. We see like, like over 40 black SUVs. Each one of us had a bodyguard, a translator, uh, a bodyguard, a translator, and the driver. And we all get into these vehicles and every mile there was a German sniper. Like, and, we were, and then they told us, oh, you're guests of the president. We are like, oh, wow, okay. So anyway, we go and we stay at uh, a different palace. And then the following day, they told, uh, we went to the following day and laid the flowers at the, at the grave of the father, I mean, the first president of uh, Chechnya or, or rather the father of the current president. And then the following day, I remember I had a very bad head cold. It was very cold there. And I was like, I can't, I, I just wanted to sleep in my room. And they're like, no, everybody has to go. We've been invited for lunch. We didn't know where we were going for lunch. We were going to the palace to eat lunch with the president. So as we are all sitting there eating with the president, he shakes everybody's hand. And as soon as he got to me, he says, wow, Mrs. Kenya. And he says, I want to sit here with you. So all his bodyguards are trying to get him out of there. And it's like, you know, wondering, no, you can't sit here. These are contestants and whatever. But he, he, he said he wanted to sit by me. And so we're talking and I'm telling him, oh, it's really great that you invited us to your country. And he tells his, his translator, I can't even understand what she's saying. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's my accent. He says, no, it's just your beauty. I was like, oh, very flattered. <laughs> but anyway, by the end of the day, he ends up proposing marriage to me. Of course, I said no, that we are married. And he kept insisting. So the owner of the Mrs. Wall is a, was a very affable guy. And he says, he says, I can see you're really intrigued by Mrs. Kenya. These women are married and I'm responsible for them when I'm with them. They have to go back to their husbands. He says, I'm the president of this country. I want to marry this woman. So... In jest, they said, okay, you have to pay dowry in her country if you want to marry her. He says, how much? So he sold two horses, four chickens, two goats, and sure enough, five minutes we're walking out and all those animals were out there. And he's addressing his country. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's my dowry. And he made me address the country and I'm like, no, I can't. And, and they were like, no, you have to. So I took the mic and I said, well, I'm very flattered that your president wants to marry me, but I think I have to get permission from my husband and then I'll come back. But it ended up being like such a fun story because everywhere we went after that, we, the, the, the Mrs. Wald was being held in Sochi and we were able to bring the Olympics there just because we were there. But everybody started calling me the first lady of Chechnya. <laughs> I became the first lady of Chechnya. And uh, it was such, it was, I think it was almost kind of the highlight of my life where I was like, wow. <laughs> That's so, amazing. What a story. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting, yes. <laughs> yeah, you've had quite a story. And I, I suppose attesting one of the things, attesting to the campaign being about like well-being, mental health, how have you navigated through all your years of, 
the incredible stories, the incredible career. But then obviously, as you know, working with a lot of these women in these competitions as well, what comes with it is probably self-worth and then competition. And then like, how have you navigated your own mental health and then helped women do the same thing through these kind of highlight reels of what looks like perfection in a Miss World competition? Um, I have to say that uh, I am very fortunate that I have not uh, struggled with like uh, depression. I think the only time I th think I would say that I felt maybe that I was depressed was when I was young and some boy broke up with me and then I didn't want to eat for two weeks and you know, I was miserable. And of course, in Africa, you don't even have time to be miserable because it's like you're given so much work to do that you can't even be miserable. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I have also um, uh, been married to somebody who has struggled really badly with depression. And, and also uh, in 2016, that I found out that my oldest daughter really struggled so much with depression that she had actually thought of killing herself. And... I, I didn't know what it was. I, I, didn't, I thought she was just, you know, a, a, a lazy teen who wanted to sleep all the time. I, I didn't understand because growing up in Africa, mental illness was never mentioned. We, I mean, there's a mental asylum where people go there and, and then they, it's like they're considered they're crazy. So I don't even think that even then when we were growing up that maybe there was medication for depression. Like, like it was never talked about. It was never talked about. I, I don't even think that I ever even, people just say, oh, those people are crazy. They're, they're in the streets collecting papers or, or like walking around naked. And, and, and we were not able to express even our emotions as kids. So even, even then when I was young and, and a boy broke up with me and I was maybe for, I guess, I would say depressed for a week or two weeks, you can't even say anything to your parents because they're like, what are you worrying about? Like, you're lazy, you, you need to go get there and go to the river and get fired or go sweep the outside or go get some firewood so that, you know, to distract you. But um, I have witnessed now um, firsthand just what mental illness and depression can do to loved ones and, and also how it affects us as a family because I have always been somebody who always thought I could fix everything. Um, when I was in school, I got an award for being, you know, the best behaved student. I became the school president. When I came to the U.S., I was employee of the month at Kodak. I worked for Warren Buffett as a flight attendant on his private jet. I was, you know, flight attendant of the year. I was always able to um, to fix, to, to, to just succeed in, in, in maybe getting noticed or, or um, overcoming things. And also competing as Mrs. Kenya and then getting hired by the organization or even getting noticed by the president or being picked by the contestants. Even that year when I went, uh, as, as it, when we went to Sochi, the We Channel again asked a whole totally group of ladies, gave us a piece of paper to write who we wanted to be Mrs. World. And again, I got picked again. Two years in a row by a totally different group. And I think that's what made the organization hire me. The mother had been like, I think she's a good lady. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, so firsthand, when I found out that my husband was struggling and my daughter with depression, I felt defeated. I, I was like, I've been able to solve all these things. And this was the one thing that baffled me. I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't be able to get them out of their, 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 their depression and their darkness. I, I just, I just, it baffled me. And, and so I went back to school to learn more about what depression is and, and how it even affects our youth and all that. And, and even then, 
it was just difficult for me to understand it. So I ended up starting an organization called The Voice of Our Child, uh, which we'll talk about. But working with the Mrs. Uh, World ladies, I have seen firsthand how these ladies, some of them do fall into depression because they come and they're so energetic and they have the best costume, they, they have the best evening gown, they're so prepared. And then when they don't get to win, it's like, it's like their whole demeanor changes. You know, like I've seen women just bowling out and crying. I've seen women just go home and erase their social media page or just just become like like just different people that you don't even recognize. And, and me trying to reach out to them, it's like they're like, I don't know. I'm just like, like, I don't know. And, and I know that feeling because I know when I try to compete for Mrs. Pennsylvania, I competed twice and I won at that time, but the both times after I competed and I didn't get to take the crown home, there's a time you, there's that few days when you go home and you just don't even want to talk to anybody because everyone is like, oh, you didn't win? Like, oh, what happened? You know, every phone call, it's almost like you want to turn off your phone and just like you, you feel very defeated. You feel like you have failed. And some women are not able to get out of, out of that, you know, that, that darkness and, and, and back again. Some women bounce back and come back and compete, but a, a lot of women just totally get lost in, in that uh, depression. And, and out of that, I, I actually started a, a podcast called um, Beauty Pageant Take Two Podcast, where I wanted to give these contestants who don't, didn't get to take the crown home an opportunity to talk about their platform and why they competed and, and what it means to them. Because I don't know if you understand this, but in pageants, there's always a judge's interview, which carries 50 points. And the judge's interview is only five minutes. And that's where you get to interview for the job or the title. That's where you get to talk about what your platform is. And then the evening gown and swimsuit is only 25 points, 25 points. If, if a contestant doesn't win, the world never gets to know why she competed. So people think that you didn't win because you didn't have the best shape or your evening gown wasn't pretty, but they don't get to hear why you competed because a lot of girls compete just like me, the same way people run for public office. When I competed as Mrs. Kenya, I wanted to bring the awareness of lack of clean water for Kenya and the school supplies and the ending FGM. When I competed as Mrs. Pennsylvania, it was to bring an end to the rates of depression and suicide in teens. But so these women have amazing, amazing platforms. And some of them are doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and, and mothers and just housewives and everything you can think of. But the pageants sometimes can really do a number on them if they don't get to take the crown home. Wow. It's, and you know what? I had to, I do love listening to that perspective because it also, it really does come to the notion of, of the campaign. And I've, I've got a last couple of questions for you, but in, in saying what you said as a mother and as a wife, you were baffled. So to yes. come from almost this world of what seemed like perfection and constantly seeing success to actually okay. seeing it and brought to you by loved ones. So I suppose with the campaign being called Imperfectly Perfect, and I like to ask this question to everything, uh, to everyone, should I say, what does now through your experiences and seeing that through loved ones, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? I'm glad you asked that question, Glenn, because I didn't understand what it was. I, I used to see your campaign and go like, okay, maybe it's been imperfectly perfect because these people struggle with, with mental illness. Until we invited you as a guest on our show on, the, on January the 16th, the, the voice of our child, uh, where we do um, 
Zoom summit with kids globally around the world every Saturday morning. And, and you started talking about your story and, and, and all that. And it's, it's like for the first time, I was like, wow, imperfectly perfect. And so the question that we all had that day was, what is the one thing that has happened in your life that seemed imperfect, but it was perfect? And I said, oh my God, it was like an aha moment. You brought it out of me. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is my imperfectly perfect. Like my child struggling, my husband struggling was an imperfection because I remember for the longest time, I didn't even want to tell anybody. I didn't even want to tell my parents. I, I was ashamed. I felt like I had failed as a mother. I felt something was very wrong. I felt like I had failed as a wife. How could I be this magnified person who travels the world, who's invited to these big companies, who, who sits down with presidents and prime ministers and negotiates sites for the Mrs. World. And here I am faced with a situation that I, I can't understand. It was just so imperfect. It was like my life was packed and then there was this thing that was thrown to me that was so imperfect. But out of that imperfectness, I was able to create the voice of our child organization. And where we even take troubled teens and on sponsored trips to Kenya and and we realize that when these kids are taken out of their current environment and engaged in humanitarian work by helping others, they help themselves. We have seen kids just like change and appreciate life and they feel so much needed. And I thought, wow, that is my perfectly perfect. You are making such a difference. My life. Yeah, you're making such a difference in this world. And uh, I just think it's incredible. And the more people need to know about you, obviously a lot of people know about you already, but if my audience like can go and check you out and I suppose I always finish these podcasts off with where can people find out more information about you? So the voice of our child, where can they find that? Your safaris. And then of course yourself. So uh, they can find uh, my voice of our child, the mentorship program at voice of our And they can find out about my safaris through water gap dash Africa Safaris. They have to put the dash, watergov-africasafaris.com. And they can find me on LinkedIn under Caroline Bakaik or uh, Instagram uh, under Caroline Bakaik. And I, I have to add this, Glenn, if you'll allow me, that that I that I have all those uh, websites and um, and media pages. And I also have the uh, the Dr. Caroline NV at Gmail. I, I mean, Dr. Caroline NV.com where they can also book uh, for the coaching or beauty pageant take two podcasts for the podcast. But I have to say as much as I've had those uh, websites and links out there, I don't think that a lot of people were able to find me until I took your 90 minute class. Just allow me to say it because I'm just too excited because I just was yesterday that I took it. And I think that everybody out there needs to take that class. <laughs> because it's you open my eyes so much that that yes i'm known around the world yes i have friends around the world yes we're making a change but sometimes i can imagine how people have struggled to maybe totally find me or or get access to me and see what i'm doing and i realized that i was building this guy creeper without having an elevator for them to get through and you pointed that out to me so anybody from now who will be going to my media pages will be able to get direct access to me, will be able to get as much information as they can from my websites. And I, 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 I owe that, uh, Glenn, to you. you. You totally just really helped me. And your 90 minute, I think, should be 
uh, mandatory for every b- person out there who's doing something in the world. <laughs> they yeah. need to go through you. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and I feel blessed you said that. And, and to have this opportunity on this podcast and to share your vision and your mission. I mean, I've heard it before, like when you told me, and it's the little girl that gets me. Like when I've got a little two-year-old girl later and, and she tells me what she wants to be when she grow up. And I'm, I'm like, you go for it. And when you told me that, and I just took yeah. you right back to that little girl and said, Caroline, what, what did she want? Go back to that place mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. a look. And there's so many people these days that just lose that inability through external circumstances. And yet we tell our kids, you dream big, you go for it. But yes. then you lose that inability. So I just want to thank you on behalf of everything you do for everyone around the world. I mean, for the campaign, for myself. And uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, we will be in touch a lot. But guys, for anyone who hasn't, I'm going to put all the links up to Caroline and all her foundations. Simply find this episode and all other episodes on Spotify or High Heart Radio. But remember, one thing that I want to say to everybody is keep having these hard conversations because these conversations are what are going to change the world, guys. So thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much, Glenn, and thank you for what you're also doing in the world and, and getting people out there uh, to be able to talk about openly about the, their, their struggle. My husband was, has never, ever publicly spoken about his struggle until he popped in into the session that I had with you the other day. And, and just in like, what, less than three minutes, you are able to get to him where he's like, I want to tell my story, you know? So you have, you have that capability of, of touching people who are struggling and telling them it's okay to be imperfect. The world needs to hear what you have to offer because you you probably have something so perfect to offer, even though you feel so imperfect, even though you feel so broken. So it's, it's beautiful what you're doing. And a lot of kids on our podcast after you spoke really opened up and related to you because you were very raw in, in explaining who you are and, and you know, like the stages of you growing up and even just talking to me on my steps, I was writing my steps as you told me as a little girl, I was almost getting emotional where I was like, oh my God, like I've never really thought about that. Like you forget where you came from. To, I mean, I didn't forget where I came from, but for you to tell me to put it down, it just, it really brought a lot of emotions in me and, and it gave me even the, the drive and the energy to do more and to go back to those other little girls who are back home feeling like they don't have a hope or they can't get anywhere. Wow, it's so powerful, so powerful. Until next time, guys, make sure you keep having the hard conversations and um, take care of yourselves. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.